The word of the Lord says this. Now it came about in the thirteenth year, on the fifth day of the fourth month, while I was by the river Kibar, among the exiles, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, or the fifth of the month, in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's exile, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kibar, and there the hand of the Lord came upon him. As I looked, behold, a high wind was coming from the north, a great cloud with fire flashing and immediately, and a bright light around it, and in the midst, something like gleaming metal in the midst of the fire. And within it, there were figures resembling four living beings, and this was their appearance. They had a human form. Each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and their feet were like a calf's hoof, and they sparkled like polished bronze under their wings on their four sides were human hands as for their faces as for the faces and the wings of the four of them their wings touched one another their faces did not turn when they moved each went straight forward as for the form of their faces each had a human face all four had the face of a lion on the right and the face of a bull on the left and all four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each had two touching another being and two covering their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. In the midst of the living beings, there were also was something like burning coals of fire, like torches among moving among the living beings. The fire was bright and the lightning was flashing from the fire and the living beings ran back and forth like bolts of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living beings, behold, there was one wheel on the ground beside the living beings for each of the four of them. The appearance of the wheels were like workmanship, and all four of them had the same form, their appearance and workmanship being as if one will were within another. Whenever they moved, they moved in any of their four directions without turning as they moved. For as, as for their rims, they were high and awesome, and the rims of all four of them were covered with eyes all around. Whenever the living beings moved, the wheels moved with them. And whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the wheels rose also. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go in that direction. And the wheels rose just as they did. For the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Whenever those went, they went. And whenever those stopped, they stopped. And whenever those rose from the earth, the wheels rose as they did. For the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Now over the heads of the living beings, there was something like an expanse. Like the awesome gleam of crystal spread out over their heads. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out one toward the other. Each one also had two wings covering its body and on one side and on the other. And I also heard the sound of their wings, like the sound of abundant waters as they went, like the voice of the Almighty. 
a sound of a crowd like the sound of an army camp. Whenever they stopped, they let down their wings and a voice came from above the expanse that was over their heads. Whenever they stood still, they let down their wings. Now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling like a throne, like sapphire in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his waist and upwards something like gleaming metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist and downward, I saw something like fire and there was a radiance around him. Like the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such likeness of the glory. I saw it. I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Let's pray. Holy Father, we ask that you be with us now through your Son and by your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Probably the hardest book in the Bible to make sense of. The further you read on uh, in Ezekiel, the further you begin to think, what in the world am I reading? And saints, it doesn't take long as you're reading this book of Ezekiel. In chapter 1, we have before us something marvelous. Something grand. Something magnificent. In fact, chapter 1 really sets the tone for the entirety of the book of Ezekiel. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That is to say, whatever we say about God says something about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that No religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most pretentious fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart, conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but the company of Christians that compose the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. It's been said that you can know a church's belief on who God is by the songs that are sung, by the way the preacher uses various language, how the preacher speaks about God. Saints Tozer here is correct. 
There's many of us who think that the most important thing we can do in this life is raise our children, which is true. It is an important thing. Or get a good job and make good money. Provide for our families. Go to church and do all these things. But saints, the most important thing that you can do in your life is to have a right and true understanding of God. Who is God? And this morning, saints, I want us to answer this simple question. What is God like? What is God like? Ask yourself this morning in your head, who is God? And a lot of times the scary thing is we end that with, who is God to me? This morning, saints, we're not going to ask or we're not going to answer who is God to you. But we're going to answer who is God according to the Bible. And to help us with that, there are many texts we can look to. But this morning, I want us to consider this vision that Ezekiel had one day. There's going to be a few points. Um, my outline is kind of all over the place, but we'll make it work. But the first point and the most essential point is going to be this. God is not like us. If there's one thing that you can keep in your memory, if you can keep in your minds, that's going to carry you till you get to that celestial city we call heaven, it is going to be this. God, young people hear me closely, is not like us. God is not like us. The Lord says in Psalm 50 verse 21, you thought that I was just like you. And this is the first thing we learn about God from this text. And we don't gather this truth from a specific verse per se, but from what all the verses are saying. That God is not like you and I. That God is not that big guy in the sky. That God is not merely a kindly grandfather who lives in heaven. That God is not a bigger and better you. God is not you, version 2.0. But God is utterly different from anything in the created order. The great Dutch Reformed theologian Herman Bovink said that the distance between God and us is the gulf between infinite and finite, between eternity and time, between being and becoming, between all and nothing. In other words, saints, there is a great and wide gulf that exists between us and between God. And this wide gulf is not merely one in location. We're going to think that, well, God's in heaven and I'm here on earth. It's not the wide gulf that exists between us and God, but rather this wide gulf is one in being. Who we are and who God is. We have being from God. God is being. We exist because of God, but God is self-existent. There is no one in back of God that causes God to be. And there's no one in back of God that keeps God in His being. God is His very life. 
And saints, throughout the scriptures, we see this wide gulf between us and God on display, do we not? The Lord says in Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As for the heaven, as, as, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Numbers 23, 19. God is not like a man that he would lie, nor a son of man, that he would change his mind. Psalm 145.3 Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. 1 Kings 8.27 Solomon is leading the people in this dedication of God's temple. And he says in verse 27, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Now, this is very interesting here. Let me add some commentary. Here, Solomon is leading the people into this temple. Um, they're dedicating to the Lord. This temple in Solomon's day is the most beautiful, magnificent thing that, that one could ever see. And here, Solomon steps back and says, but do you think that God actually dwells here? As if God is contained in here? And he says, not even the highest of heaven contains God. Not even in heaven itself does heaven put the limit on God. Why? Because heaven is not infinite. Heaven is like you and I on the creature side of this wide gulf. And here Solomon is saying, the highest of heaven, this unique dwelling place of the Lord here on earth does not contain the infinite majesty of God. Saints, time doesn't allow us to consider every verse in the Bible that speaks to the complete otherness of God, but what's crystal clear from God's Word is that God is not like man. God is not like you and I. God in His being is unusual. In fact, one theologian said, I... I was looking everywhere to find who said it, but he said this, it would be strange if God was not strange. It would be unusual if God wasn't unusual. If God wasn't the strangest being. Now, this may be a simple point and sort of a wasted point for many of you. Many of you already know this, that God is nothing like us. We are quite aware, are we not, that God is nothing like me. But saints, although we may acknowledge that God is not like us from a doctrinal and theological standpoint, we read the scriptures and we affirm it, do we practically live that way? Do we live like God is not like us? Do we depend on Him as much as we should, knowing that all things come from Him Do we come to Him in prayer as much as we should, knowing that He donates all good things to us? Do we live according to God's Word? Because God is infinite, because He is much wiser than I am. He knows what's best for my life. Well, how about this one? Do we question God's goodness when disaster comes into our lives? demanding that God give us answers to why we lost our job, to why this person has died. Friends, who are we? 
Who are we to ever question the infinite goodness and wisdom of God, even when disaster takes place? You see, friends, much of the problem with Christianity today is people want a God who is just like us. From open theists who say that God doesn't know the future to theistic mutualists who say that God must take on certain properties in order to relate himself to us. Man is always trying to bring God down to their level and in many ways refashion God into their own likeness. We want a God who is like us, who fills us, who reacts to when something happens in our lives. Saints, our God is a rock. Our God is one who is without change. And friends, this text in our, in our, uh, that we have before us this morning dashes to pieces any notion that God is anything like us. And to add to this point, friends, did you notice the creatures that Ezekiel describes? Four living beings, each have four faces and four wings, and notice the description of the wings. All four had the face of a lion on the, on the right, a face of a bull on the left. And all four had the face of an eagle. And the wheels that these beings are on. Did you notice what, this, what these uh, beings are doing? In verse 14, the living beings ran back and forth like bolts of lightning. These creatures that are described to us are not like the cute little baby angels that are painted. They're not like those cute little statues that I, when I go into elderly women's homes and I see these angels uh, on the clouds playing the harp and playing the flute. These are not that. These are majestic and terrifying servants of the Lord. In fact, what's interesting about these Beings is that in the context in the Babylonian times, these are the beings that the Babylonians would worship. The eagle, the bull, the lion. And here God is saying, those beings that you worship, I ride upon. Those beings that you offer sacrifices to, that you offer praise to, Praise me. Consider with me Ezekiel's description of God's throne. In verse 26, it's like sapphire. In verse 27, God's appearance is something like gleaming metal that looked like fire all around within it. In verse 28, God's throne is likened to the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. These vivid descriptions are quite amazing, are they not? But as wonderful and awesome as these vivid descriptions are, none of these descriptions truly capture what Ezekiel sees in this vision. Like burning coals of fire, like torches used uh, moving among the living beings, like sparkling topaz, like the awesome gleam of crystal, like, like, like. It is as if words are escaping Ezekiel as he's trying to describe what he's seeing. 
He only knows it by analogy. But friends, Ezekiel's inability to describe God is no fault of his own. For the one whom he's trying to describe is indescribable. God is, as theologians say, incomprehensible. The church father, the great church father, Athanasius once said, God transcends all being and human comprehension. And Athanasius could not be more right. The God who is infinite, infinitely surpasses our understanding, imagination, and language. The highest thought you have of God, God is much higher. The most deepest thought you have of God, God is much deeper. In fact, there are many theologians who, when they describe God, they always tack on this last bit, but God is so much more. Don't think that whatever I'm saying about God right now truly captures who he is. Even Ezekiel's vision here. Don't think that here in chapter 1 that this is truly describing all of who God is. In fact, I would even go so far to say if God's revelation of himself does not fully describe who God is. He is so much more than even the very words you have in the Bible. God is a deep ocean of mystery. He is, as Paul describes, an unapproachable light. And here in our text, Ezekiel's mind is being stretched with the majesty, with the glory and grandeur of who God is. And lastly, saints, as you notice Ezekiel's response to the vision, how does Ezekiel respond to this vision? Our text reads, and when I saw it, I fell on my face. It was the atheist Stephen Fry who was asked, what would he say to God if he ever met God? He said, how dare you create a world to which there's such misery that is not our fault. It's not right. It's utterly evil, utterly evil. He goes on to say that God is stupid and he'll call God all these names. But friends, this is the, this is not the response that we see when people meet God face to face. Moses takes off his shoes. Job covers himself in dust and ashes and confesses his sins. Isaiah falls down. John falls down. Even these beings here, with their wings, they cover themselves. When people see God, it is at that moment they understand quickly who God is and who they are. Friends, all of this is to say that God is great. And God is grand. And He is our God. This is the God whom we serve. Not some fairy tale in the sky, as atheists like to say. Not the flying spaghetti monster. He's not a myth. Richard Dawkins says that in Atheist. He's not someone that we have conceived out of our own imagination. He's not like the Greek mythological myth gods. He's, He's not these gods. But He is the true and living and grand God. And He is our God. This is the first point that we cannot miss, saints. And God is not like us. The second thing and the last thing we learn from this vision 
There's actually three things, but we'll go through them quickly. Number one, God is not limited. Number two, God initiates. And number three, God speaks. And this point really gets into the context of this vision. Let's consider the first, and that is God is not limited. And this is grand here. This is as good as the first point. (laughs) This vision, as glorious as it is, did not start off that way. Consider what Ezekiel said in verse 4. As I looked, behold, a high wind was coming from the north. Now, Ezekiel mentioning the north is highly significant. For when enemies would attack Israel, they would come from the north. It was their weakest point, their weakest area. So here, when Ezekiel sees a high wind coming from the north, it must have reminded him of a few years prior when Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem. When Babylon came and wiped out the people and exiled the people of Israel from their homeland. And saints, that is the backdrop of this vision. The people of Israel have lost their land. They are living in Babylon, a thousand miles away from the place they called home. Psalm 137 best describes the feeling of these Israelites. It reads, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. When we remembered our homeland, when we remember the temple, when we remember the priests, when we remember the worship, we wept. There is no temple now. There are no priests. And to the mind of Israel, God is no longer on their side. Saints, this is what makes this vision so remarkable. For in light of present circumstances, here God appears to Israel's priest. Here God appears in light of present circumstances and reminds the people that you may have lost your land, but you have not lost your God. When this windstorm came, when God gave this vision of himself to Ezekiel, God was signaling to his exiled people, you may have lost your land, but I have not lost you. You may have lost all of the outward showings of my love for you, but you have not lost me. As he says in Isaiah, you think I divorce you and show me the divorce papers. What this means, saints, is this, that God is not limited to circumstances. God is not limited to circumstances. This is something that we are too ingrained in our mind. Maybe so much disaster has come into your life. And maybe you think that God cannot pull you out of the sorrow that you're drowning in. Maybe you're a Christian, but you're living in despair because a particular sin continues to cause you to stumble. And you may think that you are beyond the mercy and forgiveness of God. That God can't forgive me in light of my present circumstances. Then friends, this vision is of great news to you. If you think that God is beyond or that you are beyond the grace of God, then know that God is not limited to circumstances. 
if he heard his people in Egypt, if he can help his people in Egypt, he will help his people on earth. Secondly, we see from this text that God initiates. And this is really seen in verse 1. Now it came in the 13th year, on the fifth day of the fourth month, while I was by the river Kibar, among the exiles, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. Saints, what's so striking about this verse is it doesn't say that Ezekiel caused this vision. It doesn't say that Ezekiel went and fasted and then prayed and by his own righteousness brought God down from heaven. It doesn't say Ezekiel, as one pastor did, went to the woods, meditated, and then God appeared. No, it says in verse 1, the heavens were opened. Friends, this is similar to Moses wandering in the wilderness, not looking for a burning bush, and then God appeared. This is very similar to Isaiah, who's in the temple, not looking for a vision of God, and then God appeared. This is very similar to Saul, who on the road to Damascus, not seeking God, but but doing his work of persecution, but then he gets interrupted, and God appears. Saints, this is all of our testimony, is it not? That we were on our way to hell, but God interrupted us. That we were on our way to hell, but God interrupted us. God took the initiative. Thank you, sister. And thank God that He did. Thank God that God took the initiative in salvation. That God stretched forth His hand. That God stretched forth His mighty arm. That when we were going left, God moved our will to go right. God took the initiative. Saints, don't ever believe the lie that says, in salvation, God helps those who help themselves. Friends, God doesn't save us because we are trying really hard. But God saves those who can't save themselves. And praise God that He does. And lastly, what we learn from this text is that God speaks. God speaks, the incomprehensible one, the one who is beyond our thoughts, imaginations. He comes down, and as Calvin says, he speaks to us in baby talk. He lisps into our ears. He speaks to us. And this is seen in the last line of the chapter. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. This is very different than how many people view a worship service. They think the climax of the worship service is when the band goes up, the guitars start to riff, the lights go down, the blue lights come on, all the theandrics. Well, saints, there's theandrics here, is there not? There's lightning. There's four living beings. But here we see that the climax of this vision is God speaking. God speaking. Saints, this is the one who spoke everything that is into existence. Here he speaks to Ezekiel, giving Ezekiel his commission. And saints, in these last days, he's speaking to us in his son. And what is he has told us 
is that He has loved us before the foundation of the world. And He has gave to us His most precious and beloved gift, and that is His Son, Jesus Christ, to live, die, and rise for us. And on top of that, He's given to us the Spirit. He's given to us the Sabbath day where preachers come every single morning, every single evening to speak once again to God's people. Saints, this is the God whom we serve. Uh, There's not a ten-point application that I need to give, but saints, merely just one. Since this is the God whom we serve, let us serve Him. Let us give to Him all of ourselves. Let's pray.